0: This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Get a $50 credit towards your first job post at linkedin.com slash twist. Miro is an online whiteboard that brings teams together anytime, anywhere. Go to miro.com slash twist to sign up for a free account with unlimited team members and Dell for Entrepreneurs, level up your hardware today and save up to fifty-five percent by going to dell.com/twist.
1: All right, everybody, welcome to this week in startups. I'm your host Jason Calacanis. This is the show we talk about technology, startups, entrepreneurship, capitalism the good, the bad, the ugly. And uh, it's been a crazy week here in the Silicon Valley, in the United States, in the world. Obviously, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. Thankfully, every country seems to have figured this out, except for our great country, America, where we will try every strategy that doesn't work before doing the very simple act of putting on a 72-cent mask. Uh, With me today to discuss all the tech news. Uh, Alex Wilhelm is back on the program. You know him. He's the senior editor at TechCrunch, formerly the editor-in-chief of Crunchbase News, where I've been updating my profile. I forgot to update my profile. And now I've got over 200 investments. And I was uh, realizing I was low in the rankings, Alex. But uh, I may need your help getting a couple of investments on that.
0: I, I, I know the back end a little bit, and I can help out, but mostly it's just typing. So I think you are, you are on the path. You can do it. I believe in you. Oh, you, can, you can get it done.
1: I will get it done. And uh, I don't, I, you're from an undisclosed location in the Northeast Corridor. Uh,
0: I don't I'm know in if you Providence. tell people where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Providence, Rhode Island. Um, I'm a new East Coast transplant, eight years in SF before this. Yeah. Uh, I'm a West Coast kid originally, but uh, I'm learning how to wear boat shoes. So oh, it's fantastic. been a, an enormous I, cultural revolution.
1: Yeah, and I, and my condolences, of course, on uh, Brooks Brothers, so I'm very sorry. You leave San Francisco, you move to the Northeast, and Brooks Brothers goes down in flames. I'm doing God's work. I mean, you everyone are. should
0: thank me. I rolled out here. It died. I mean, thank God. those
1: Those parachute shirts, God Almighty, um, they look terrible. Uh, but interestingly enough, you leave San Francisco. This place, when you want to talk about falling apart, oh my Lord, this place is a ghost town now. And the homeless problem has now gone supernova, and every company is leaving Alex, you know, remember traffic in Soma?
0: Oh, viscerally.
1: There is none. There, it, none? None. Like getting onto the 80, there might be five uh-huh. cars backed up. And it That's used to crazy. be five blocks of cars. It would take 40 minutes to get onto the 80 to go into Oakland and Berkeley over yep. the Bay Bridge. Now, it, it zip, zip, zip. It looks like it's a Saturday on Tuesday. It's bizarre. Yeah, I,
0: I'm also annoyed that right after I left, rents went down. Uh we were just talking before the show about you know housing prices around the California area, but like I was getting just you know bled through the nose for years in SF and now right. I leave and everything's on discount. Like, the, just... the
1: official number is 12% uh lower rents this year versus last year, I think according to Zumper's data. But yeah. what I'm hearing from folks who are actually renegotiating their rents, because people are like, hey, I'm leaving, and the actual offers are now 20% off rent. That's the standard uh request. So if you had a 40 even yeah, if people here would, they would have thirty five hundred, forty five hundred sure. for one to two bedroom, whatever, some modest place. You know, it's basically going back down to three thousand, thirty five hundred, uh, maybe getting back towards the New York rent. Um, Morgan Debon is with us. She, uh, well, I guess I interviewed you. I don't know if you've have you done a news roundtable, Morgan? No, I haven't. Uh, so thanks for doing it. Uh, everybody knows that uh, you're the CEO and founder of Blavity, which is doing fantastic. I know because I follow your Insta and everything. Tell everybody about the business, how you make money. I know you started it, I think, back in 2014 or so, 2015?
2: Yeah, it was 2014, about six years ago in a couple of weeks. Um, so Blavity is a media news organization and platform and mostly a community that focuses on the Black millennial and, and now Gen Z uh, audience and community in the United States, so it's busy, busy season for us. Uh, also a pandemic for media companies. Not very good on your bottom line. So
1: It's brutal, right? Advertising just got turned off. Did it go down half or 50%? Brutal. Yeah, it's been brutal. I would say it
2: we went down like 30%. And then we kind of got a second wave because everyone stopped campaigns out of respect. Um, oh, my God. But then I was like, that's not good for our revenue. So it's Absolutely. been an interesting couple of weeks. I think it's, it's definitely bouncing back. Um recently yeah
1: yeah I and mean, that's counterintuitive you would think that people would want to be supportive of black culture during the protests and you know during this horrible time but a lot of i think advertisers don't know how to deal with it. they don't know what to say right like are we supposed to say we're with you or we you know what 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 is their what's the best approach for brands during something like the civil unrest and the protests and and you know this you know, horrible murder. And I think it's pretty clearly a murder of George Floyd.
2: Yeah. You know, I think the first phase was, okay, we have to say something like, so everyone get their statements together. And then the second phase was, right. Words don't actually mean anything. We should probably do something. Right. And so then it became, okay, what should we do? Uh, Everyone started to look internal first. So that's where a lot of, um, you know, black employees felt very empowered to hold people accountable, which was really Amazing moment um, for a lot of people to hear have their voices heard for the first time, in some of these huge corporations. And then it was okay. What do we do for our customers? You know, m- many of these just big companies, black people shop there or you know patron their business. And it's like, oh man, do we know this? Are we paying attention to these people? How are we serving them? How are we serving their community? Um, and then you know, I think we've seen a lot of the hundred million dollar commitments come out in the last couple of weeks. So now I think yeah. we're entering the phase of uh, okay, we're going to make a $10 million, you know, commitment for the next 10 years, or we're going to build out a program or whatever it may be inside the company to to be more explicit. We'll see what that looks like as they start to roll out. And there's accountability in groups and where it actually, the money actually lands. Still TBD on what that looks like.
1: And I guess it's easy to be sort of cynical and say, these folks are, you know, just doing some you know, minor thing and it's window dressing or a facade. Do, do you think they're actually making real change that you think is important? And if not, what is the real change that people need to make?
2: Well, I think that there's a couple of things for the corporations. I definitely believe there's a, a handful of people who are just reallocating budgets they already had and calling it, putting an, a, a bow on it and calling it a something. Right. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Please give like me a are,
1: cookie. Um, yeah, I just moved yeah, from like here already to here. Needed-
2: Right. So it's like you're already spending $10 million, you know, in black advertising. And now you're just explicitly saying that and making it a PR statement. Great. Um, But also not not actually great. Um, And then um, I think the thing that is happening on the consumer side is just as human beings. I do think that there's more general awareness of white people of like, oh, snap, I'm kind of racist, like didn't need to be. Didn't yeah. think I was, but actually, I'm hmm. kind of biased. Maybe you know? I'm a little bit racist. <laughs> like Maybe like, a little huh, racist. Let me think. This like I've had a lot of conversations and, and people that are, you know, I consider advisors or friends. And I, and I have a little bit more space now to say, hey, no, you're not intending to do this, but just want to know that you to know that statement you just made was actually biased. Uh,
1: I had this moment, you know, uh, I don't know if you have the three or four, Alex, you know, uh, as well you know, threads that you've had going with your friends and iMessage or whatever, WhatsApp, whatever you use to get you through COVID, to get through all the civil unrest and the protests. And on one of them, one of my friends who's white uh, said, uh, oh my Lord, the world has gone mad and posted a video of a militia of people walking down the street in guns. And he's like, this has gone too far. And it was a militia of black people. And I was like, oh, okay. That's mm-hmm. racist because militia like, of
2: white people literally everywhere in America.
1: I'm like, did you miss the 10,000 overweight, 300-pound cosplaying dipshits with their AR-17s that look like they're so tiny because their beer guts are so huge? And these guys literally couldn't even walk up the stairs to you know be in the marines they're that obese and dumb and, and my friend's like oh my god now it's and, and we have uh, on the thread it's just a bunch of my friends from new york there are different people of different colors and that became an interesting thread for the day i will say that
2: yeah these are conversations i don't think that this generation of people have had you know i think this is the conversation. Our parents probably were having at some point. But my friends and I, you know, I have white friends, green friends, yellow friends, I got all types of friends. Right. We have never talked about race at this level of honesty ever.
1: Yeah. Which is good. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like my wife tells me sometimes you got to go through it to get there. You know, you have to like go through the hard stuff in order to get to the good stuff. You got to have like these hard conversations. Um, uh, what's your experience, Alex? Yeah.
0: My family group has been very interesting about this because um, my family goes from ages like 75 down to like 12. And so you have an enormous gamut of people from different countries and people from the United States and so forth. And I have been surprised at how constructive it's been and how much of the stuff was discussed. What I also learned in some other conversations was was how poorly informed some people are. People not even knowing how to pronounce the word like Antifa because they don't get this about anti-fascism. I've heard it pronounced Antifa. And if you realize that some people are starting from from nowhere and that's disappointing and, and not great, but you do also, or at least I found um, constructive conversations, uh, honest intent and people trying to move towards not just being like race neutral, but to be anti-racist, which I think is the important step that we're now talking about in shows like this and yeah. around all social media and out in the streets. And like, it's, it's a very positive change for the country and I'm a little bit optimistic, which is a nice feeling to have uh, this year.
1: Are you optimistic, Morgan? You think this is I'm, I'm we're cautiously making progress.
2: Optimistic. Yeah. I think this accelerated some version of progress uh within our generation. I'm very optimistic about the, the youth. Like I'm super optimistic oh, about kids sure. in college right yeah. now and high school. I'm like, "Oh, you guys got it." You know. They so they're, like they're
1: getting it right and, you know, they it's 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 really interesting because they the interesting thing, and it relates to our next story, which is TikTok, which is I think that putting millennials aside, um, this Gen Z, which I think comes after it, I have a feeling that this is the generation that not only is aware of these things, but I think they got strategies and they want to like actually take over. And what they did to Trump on TikTok and embarrassing him and making him think. That he had a million people sign up for that stupid rally and then like 6,000 people showed up. They made him look so dumb. It was the ultimate trolling. When we get back from this quick break, I want to talk about the Trump administration, which has all of a sudden seen the light of day, which I've been talking about for months, that they want to suddenly ban TikTok because it's a Chinese app and maybe it's spyware. And I've been talking about, hey, the dangers of that. But interestingly, they suddenly care about maybe banning TikTok. The week after TikTok makes them look really dumb when we get back on This Week in Startups. Listen, you all know LinkedIn Jobs is amazing, but I wanted to start today's ad read with an amazing story from one of our founders in the This Week in Startups community. Now, this is a true story. I talked to the fella And he had an amazing experience. He's a listener of the show. His name is Aaron Mason, and he is the founder and CEO of a company called Emma AI. He's in the AI business. You all know how hard it is to find somebody in the AI space, a lot of competition. Well, he just hired a machine learning engineer. They started this Monday. I'm not kidding you. This is a true story. He received 110 relevant applications, not like drive-by resumes, not that nonsense relevant not people who want you to teach him ai and machine learning people who know how to do it and he got all of those in only four days with a smaller budget than he had ever used before and he got so much amazing value from linkedin jobs thanks to our partnership with linkedin here on this week in startups and that just makes me feel great because you know what it's like when you're a founder All you're just struggling and struggling and then you find the right person and it's like a rocket ship and linkedin jobs is that rocket ship it's the fuel that's going to propel your startup to the next level. Small businesses have very unique needs. You know that. And despite all this uncertainty, you got to get the right people on the bus, and then you get the bus going in the right direction. If your business is ready to take it to the next level, and you need that jet fuel to get you to escape velocity, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you find the right person quickly, just like Aaron did. Can you imagine getting 110 Qualified candidates in four days. It's magic. It is the most active community of professionals. They've got uh, 690 million right now. So the billions coming. Let JCal give you the $50 off right now. Go to LinkedIn.com slash twist. LinkedIn.com slash T W I S T. This week in startups. You get it. That's our little, that's our little code there. LinkedIn.com slash twist to get the 50. Get your five. right now. $50 off your first job post. Now, terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you the 50 bucks. So don't play any games. Get that 50 and solve your problems right now. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back to the pod. Morgan DeBon is with us. If you don't know Blavity, follow it, uh, Insta, sign up for the website. Uh, And Alex Wilhelm is with us. He is a senior editor of a TechCrunch. And we're talking about TikTok, Uh, just, you know, somewhat breaking news, the Trump the Trump administration considers banning TikTok and other Chinese social media apps as India has banned 50 plus Chinese apps. And they're in a little bit of a skirmish on the border there. The FTC and the justice department are looking into allegations that TikTok failed to delete accounts for children under 13, violating a 2019 agreement. Um, And uh, last week, India banned these 59 apps. Um, And that ban could um, lose ByteDance dance eight, uh, six billion in revenue Mike Pompeo, um, uh, when he talked about banning Chinese apps, said especially TikTok. I don't. W-, and the quote was, "I don't want to get out in front of the president, but it's something we're looking at." Uh, TikTok is owned by ByteDance, um, and it's been accused of being a security threat because obviously it's got ties to China. If you run a business in China, you're in business with the CCP, which stands for the Chinese Chinese Communist Party. Um, You know, TikTok, of course, claims they operate separately from ByteDance. and The data centers are located out of China uh, and that it's not subject to Chinese law, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, They had 315 million downloads in the first quarter of 2020, which is extraordinary. Um, They're past 2 billion downloads. Uh, They had the most quarterly downloads of any app, according to Sensor Tower Analytics. 60% of the users are between the age of 16 and 24. And bizarrely. Uh, The former head of Disney Plus, Kevin Mayer, uh, was named the CEO. I don't know why an American would become the CEO of a a company from a communist country. That seems insane. But the inside scoop is that he felt he should have been the CEO of Disney. So he took this job, (coughs) which, excuse me, I'm sure he is regretting at this point. Um, Alex, any thoughts on this story? And then
0: Morgan, I'll get yours. Normally, when I come on the show, I have like one strong opinion about things. In this case, I'm a little bit torn. Uh, one, I, I agree with your notes about, uh, Chinese companies and the CCP and how the, that government runs the country and how it has eyes into everything that happens commercially because that's how you sensor and and kind of run an information control in the entire country. On the other hand, uh, China has banned so many U.S. services over the years, I'm I'm hesitant to begin to follow suit. Um, I wonder if there's a middle path here that involves looking into the possible data breach, fines, restrictions, doubling down on, you know, data uh, segregation between different countries and finding some sort of middle ground um, and and not just following suit between uh, a, putatively communist country and an increasingly nationali- nationalistic India. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the approach that I like. And also I don't like Mike Pompeo, the personal bias there. Um, yeah, so I mean, that, that is
1: part of the challenge of this is, you know, the Trump administration might have a reason for doing this that might have more to do with, Morgan, to your point, this next generation, which is using TikTok. So now we've got this very multi-layered nuanced issue do we not, with young people, love this platform?
2: Well, I guess my question is really, what's the responsibility of Apple and Google for mm-hmm. the information that's passed through? I mean, to me, that seems like something more in our control as companies that are actually headquartered here in the United States.
1: Yeah, and they let it into the app stores. Of course, you know I, what percentage of the users actually know it's a Chinese app? Not many. Very few. Nobody. Like
0: no, Or very Italy. few.
2: I, I don't, no way. The average girl running around dancing, she has no idea that this is owned.
0: What if we did TikToks about how TikTok is owned by ByteDance? What if we use the platform to spread awareness of the issue? They don't
2: know what ByteDance is.
1: Right. Ah. I wonder, actually, this would be an interesting test. If we did, I'm going to, okay, listen, I got a lot of followers. This is a message to my followers. You know, those 3% of you who are just, you know, very uh, enthusiastic, let's say. Uh, One of my enthusiastic followers, please run a couple of experiments for me. I would like you to run a series of TikToks featuring Tiananmen Square and the history of Tiananmen Square. And let's see how long it lasts. And then I would like you to inspire everybody to use the hashtag Tiananmen Square or remember Tiananmen Square. And let's see if we can trend it. And uh, to producer Nick and Sir Charles, can we clip this? And let's see if we can trend Tiananmen Square on TikTok. And let's put some music behind it and let's make a really powerful, impactful, trending Tiananmen Square, and then we'll find out exactly who's running TikTok. How's that sound, everybody?
0: A reasonable test.
1: I'm with it. I'll retweet. I think my trolling skills just went to eleven.
0: <laughs> and I also, I just, you're never going to China now. You're just I, never I, you know what? Go actually,
1: back. I've been so critical, Alex. It's, it's it's interesting. You mentioned that my book got translated into Chinese. It's right over here behind my head, right on this side. And um, I went to Hong Kong. And I told my friend, uh, Mike Savino, who was with me, when I was on book tour there, I said, you know, I'm not going to mainland China because I've been a bit critical and I'm a little concerned about my safety because I don't want to be that schmuck who's like the first American who gets picked up. And that was during the Huawei stuff when Canada had picked up the, um, the daughter uh, of the CEO and uh, whatever, like some ugliness going on with that. And I was like, and, th- and now I just, I did a speaking gig last night in Hong Kong remote. And I was like, I don't think I can go to Hong Kong.
0: Mm. No, not with a new law.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess that's all for me. Yeah, kind of a bummer. I, you know, if you had to choose, um, allow TikTok knowing the Chinese government had access to the data, let's just assume that that is 100% certain they have the keys to the kingdom. If We know, Alex, they have the keys to the kingdom. Should putting your, you know, obvious feelings about Trump aside and my feelings, and I'm gonna assume Morgan's, um, putting aside the Trump administration, Let's just pretend it was in the Obama administration uh, or the Kanye administration. In six months, should we ban uh, TikTok if we knew the government had access to it? Yes or no, Alex?
0: I'm going to answer that in the annoying way of not giving you one-word answer. Here's a here's a a somebody still wants to go to Shanghai? (laughs) No, no, no. I'm good. I mean, Shanghai was lovely, but uh, (laughs) I'm not going to go back until the government's different. uh, the NSA is is grafted onto AT&T and the fiber of the American internet. It's kind of a generally accepted statement. Yep. Um, and they can just yank in all the data from the American internet, let alone any metadata, particular yeah. app. And then they have a and- warrant
1: to get inside of it.
0: Yep. Eh, you know again how much faith do you have in in those little legal defenses they set up I think the Snowden League showed us they were much more adventurous than they claimed to be Sure. Um, should Europe ban American apps that are too close to the US government or the companies that own them are too close to the US government I, I would say no to that I, I, would, I would hope the answer is no uh, the question then becomes is the Chinese government in such a large risk that uh, this is required and I think that my, my views have changed since the implementation of the recent security law in um, Hong Kong I think now given that and their their uh, rules in that that go pan global. I think the answer is probably yes. And my friends love TikTok. They send me TikToks all the time. I laugh at them. It's lovely. I just deleted the app myself. But um, but pro- probably is the best I can get on that. Jason Sarfine. So
1: Morgan, where do you stand on it? If we knew that they were looking
2: at it, um, it depends on who I'm solving for. You know, yeah. I think if I'm solving for like being an American and democracy, et cetera, then yes. Um, if I think that the country in America and the government really protects us, me, my people, which I don't believe right now. So then I say, no, give the people what they want. Um, and it's the responsibility of the people we pay with our taxes to keep us safe and figure it out.
1: Uh, and young people are probably freaking out right now to, to entrepreneurs, man, if you thought you wanted to create a competitor, now would be a great time to do it because I'm going to put the odds at 80%. Uh, and by the way, the other thing that I thought was interesting, I, and I don't know if you heard this stuff, uh, Morgan, was that the folks at TikTok were not picking black people to be featured as dancers yeah, and were picking white people and skinny people. And it's bad. It was yeah, kind of I mean, gnarly. On
2: it now, um, I certainly... A lot of companies have been called out recently, and a lot of people are looking like that. Lizzo called out TikTok a, a while ago for kind of like the, the fat The algorithm
1: chain. and the fat chain. Yeah, yeah.
2: the algorithm, right. So, yeah,
1: The algorithm.
2: The, <laughs> doing this forever. I mean, Twitter, I love Twitter. I love Jack Dorsey. Twitter absolutely suppressed black voices back in the day. I don't know if you guys ever remember, black people used to trend like every night.
1: Absolutely. To- you and I talked about, it, I think on the pod, was like there was actually, I heard the internal discussion about this, which was people are confused by black t- Twitter because you keep twend- tre- trending stuff that we don't understand. And so we're like, can somebody explain to me why the top 10 things are, you know, Scandal. words I don't know. And it's like, well, you're going to know them in about three to six months because
0: black,
1: tw- <laughs> because black culture is culture. Like, exactly. yes, let's be honest. But there was a
2: time when that was always trend. Stuff was always trending at, at like six o'clock, late night Twitter. And then yeah. it's all of a sudden we stopped trending. How? Not because we stopped talking.
1: It's because they localized it. They localized it, and then they made it um, part of your who you follow. So they, they did the whole echo chamber thing. Okay, working remotely doesn't mean you need to feel disconnected from your team. You're going to need to use new tools, and one of them is called Miro, M-I-R-O. But Miro is an online whiteboard that brings together teams anytime, anywhere we're all working from home right now and we're all working from around the world so imagine you had this perfect infinite canvas where you could brainstorm make mock-ups and designs maybe organize files manage complex projects like making an app or a SaaS product or a conference any of these things well you just pick one of the great templates at miro and you're off to the races and here is my amazing presh he whiteboarded all the operations of what we needed to do for Angel University. And we all sat there and we were just amazed. Amazed at how quickly and crisply we were able to design the perfect workflow and project management for Angel University, which is doing incredible. Marketing, operations, content. You know, we had to have this workflow all designed and we had to assign who was going to work on it. We had to put all the files in the same place so nobody would miss a beat. And that's what Miro helps you do. I want you to go to Miro.com slash twist and you sign up and you're going to get a free account with unlimited team members. They love startups. They want to see you be successful. They know it's a challenging time right now. And they know they have the perfect product for remote teams. And it's so great to get that whiteboarding session back. I can tell you it's a game changer. Go in there. Miro.com twist. Speaking of the echo chamber and the absolute cesspool that Twitter has turned into. And boy, did I have a crazy week on, on this platform. Um, Twitter is now I saw working. that. Oh, God. Well, I mean, if you, we could talk about it and get into it. Um, <laughs> Twitter is working on a new subscription-based platform codenamed Gryphon. Gryphon. Griffin, yeah, um, and I had talked about this a while ago. I said they should just pay a hundred bucks a year and let everybody be verified, or five bucks a month, and they'd have a great revenue stream. And then you could just click a button and say, "I only want to see people who pay," and anybody else will just be grayed out, or you know, I, I could filter them out just like the quality filter. Um, Two uh, Wednesday morning, Twitter posted a job listing revealing they're building a new internal team, code named Griffin. That is building a subscription platform. And this is just like the easiest layup for Alex and journalists. It's like, do you not think journalists are reading your job descriptions? Oh my Lord. That's just like the easiest hack in the world. Right, Alex.
0: Yep. That, I mean, when I saw this, I was like, come on guys, come Who, on, guys. come on. You can't announce your secret project in a thing. We're going to go read. Like, come Capital on, we're going to see this for
1: test drivers. And right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like for a special project. That is not a self-driving car. Um, and the uh, popular theories right now is that it's a Twitch Patreon style subscription, which would be quite nice, actually. Uh, you, so you could subscribe to individual accounts, and uh, that would be amazing for people to be able to monetize themselves. I talked to Evan Williams about that a decade ago. Um, or power users could pay for access to new analytics, breaking news alerts, stuff like that. Um, Twitter share price j- jumped 12%. Um, which is pretty amazing since people have kind of lost face in that company ever breaking out against uh, the Goliath. Um, What would, I guess the first question, Alex, um, would you pay for Twitter? And if you would pay for Twitter, what features, top three, in ranked order, would you want to pay for?
0: Uh, It's a great question. One, absolutely. I've been on Twitter since 2007, 2008. And I've, I, I still use it as much as I did 10 years ago, which is a shocking thing to say out loud, but I, I'm still as attached to it. So whatever they want to charge me, I would have to pay because I can't not have it. So they could charge me an infinite amount of money. I would just go broke because I'd have to give it to them. Uh, things that I would love, I would love to be able to support individual publications and bands on Twitter. I think it'd be really fun to be able to follow, say, you know, Blavity or TC or whatever or a band that I love that's smaller and be able to give them some money on a recurring basis. It'd be fun to have that mechanism. Um, I would love to to pay to not see advertisements. I'm always willing to do that. Wait, are you verified? Do
2: you see ads? I don't, I see. in a while.
0: It spikes though, right guys? I mean, like, because sometimes there's no ads.
2: They're promoted tweets when you go to a feed.
1: Yeah, but I assume, Morgan, are you verified? You got blue check mark. Yeah, I'm verified. Yeah, we're all we're all Team Verified, but for, in the beginning, Team Verified didn't see any ads. That was their like concept. Yeah, they're concept. like, no,
2: we gotta charge those guys. Yeah, they're like, it Wait was a great second. until hmm, those they realized people... that that's where
0: all their money's. Yeah. Well, th- now we see them in big bursts before earnings. I feel so. That's what happens on that. So get rid of ads. And then a last thing, I don't know. Those, those are the only two things that I want. I would pay money to not have an edit button for everyone else to get spicy yeah. about that.
1: Ooh, Morgan, what do you what do you got? Would you pay for it?
2: I would. Have to pay for it on the, the business side it's critical for black news and real yeah. stories and truth telling um at, on the personal level as a personal brand i hate twitter um i feel constantly attacked <laughs> and it, it, yeah. it is not a positive place anymore for me um what, what is th- the nature
1: uh of a black woman on Twitter. How what what do you experience?
2: You know, I I used to tweet a lot and now I have the fear that at one point when I was 21 years old, you know, tipsy in college tweeted something silly and yep. that people are gonna go back and, and look, look, you. look yeah. and do the whole cancel thing, you know? Um, and I'll be like, yeah, she was dumb, but that was 10 years ago. Yeah. You know? Um And then, and I wasn't a public figure. Right. No, I was just me, my 200 followers. So, you know, I, I, I have definitely tried to go back and like delete archive, just make sure, luckily I didn't have anything that bad to delete. Um, But I, I just worry about the trolls and the people who are just angry and sitting on their couch, just sitting there with nothing to do, but all they have to do is tweet some provocative stuff. Some provocative hashtag, and all of a sudden, it just spins into this little weird cycle of mean and toxicity.
1: It's pretty crazy and toxic. I guess the question. Next question I have for each of you is: I'm going to propose a price. <clears throat> Let's assume there's a free tier, and you get almost everything. But you know, there's some premium features. <clears throat> uh, Fifty, one hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, five dollars a month, ten dollars a month, fifteen dollars a month. Which price do you think they're going to go with if you had to pick one?
2: Netflix price, $10 a month. Okay, Alex?
0: I think I think that's right. But I just realized I have an idea about why they're doing this, Jason. Um, you've been tracking SaaS stocks, I presume, like everyone else has been because yeah. software prices have gone through the roof. Uh, Twitter is an ad business, and everyone doesn't love an ad business if it's not Google or Facebook. So I bet... Twitter just wants some gosh darn recurring revenue and that's going to juice their valuation nicely. So oh, from a 100%. financial perspective, it's it's smart, but I would pay 15 or 1500 if they demanded me to pay it because I can't not have You're it. You're a so. super
2: user though.
0: Absolutely. I'm gu- guilty as charged. I mean, I don't feel great about this, but I'm trying to be as honest as I can be on the show. I'm not particularly cool and I do tweet too much. So this is uh, this is my world. You know, this is where I, I hang out with my, my collection of weird goofball friends. So
1: uh, yeah, I, I think the analytics part, uh, and some of the premium features that you use third-party for. So the feature I've been asking them for is archive. So, you know, on on Instagram, you can archive your old stuff. I also archived my entire Facebook. I had to use a third-party tool. It was like a a Chrome extension. I just literally archived everything because I don't like to use it, and I don't want people bring up pictures of my kids and stuff like that. And, you know, you guys, uh, we've all went from kind of obscure figures 10, 15 years ago to now being, you know— uh, you know more notable, and so you do get a little bit of security concerns or also you know the way people use Twitter was it was almost like a chat room, and people forget that like people were tweeting hundreds of times a day and they were just responding to each other as if it was a chat room, and so you can find chats that were like yes and okay, sure you know and it's like what what what's this relation to so I archive my whole thing, but i you can't archive so I just used some there's some tweet deleting tool for this ten bucks a month and so I downloaded my archive and then I deleted everything and then I so now I just have my last two years or something.
2: Oh that's great.
1: Uh yeah it's kind of cool. You can just type in tweet tweet deleter. And then there's some people now who just say every thousand tweets, just keep the last thousand or just keep the last hundred days, whatever it is. It's like your
2: iMessages.
1: Is the iMessage does that you're saying? Yeah I didn't know that feature existed. So anyway it's kind of a cool thing and that's what I would pay for also, the analytics, you know, people pay for buffer or analytics, tweet deck, all that stuff that businesses use. Man, there's so many great things they could use. And we were investors in a company called Get Little Bird um, that got sold. Um, and they did a very interesting thing, which was like they would create Twitter lists automatically. So you'd say, hey, you know, give me everybody in you know, involved in sushi and sushi restaurants. And you'd say, okay, give me 10 sushi-related Twitter candles. And then it would go out and do the cross-referencing and say, who do these candles following comment?" Okay, that's the second degree. You know, kind of do a bit of page ranking. And there's so many amazing ideas there. Um, That would be absolutely fantastic. When we get back from this quick break, Harvard is charging. I kid you not. Full tuition next year, despite being fully virtual and we are discuss it here on this week in startups in just about 60 seconds hey everybody you need to upgrade that workstation i know you want to and i have just upgraded well, i've got this beautiful dell with all of these ports i got my ports back and i got a machine that doesn't crash that's rock solid and it's affordable could buy two or three of these for the price that we're paying for some of those other overpriced ones with no ports and i got an ethernet port and i got an hdmi port and i got a sim card i can put in there dell for entrepreneurs wants to help you upgrade all your tech hardware and they're going to make everything so easy for you you're not going to believe how great the offer is scaling your company you know that means more than just hiring it means getting high quality laptops high-quality networking equipment, storage printers, all that stuff, so your employees have the tools they need to succeed. And the number one thing that people forget is the monitors. It's so beautiful, those Dell monitors. And listen, I use them for the office here and on the set. We've got them everywhere. And with Dell Financial Services, qualified founders, which you're going to be qualified if you're listening to this podcast for sure, can finance their entire hardware project and pay for it in low monthly payments. So you're going to get a better price, a better product, and you can get to pay it back over time. And founders can earn cash rewards like up to 6% cash back. They can help you with your laptop and desktop computers, cloud strategy, servers, Microsoft licensing, all that important stuff, the blocking and tackling IT stuff. Twist listeners can get up to 50% off until July 22nd and take an extra 5% off by going to Dell.com slash twist. Dell.com, very easy, you know that, slash twist. That's our little hashtag there, TWIST. This means you can get up to 55% off select products at Dell.com slash twist, and you're only going to get it if you go to Dell.com slash twist one more time. Fifty-five percent. Thank you, Dell. I love all the all the hardware I buy from y'all. It's just great stuff. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Morgan and Alex are with us. Uh, Alex is. uh Are you at Alex on Twitter? You got the first yeah. name. Morgan, yeah. what's your Twitter?
2: At Morgan Debon. I'm not as cool. Someone has at yeah. Morgan. I don't know who she is.
0: We should find her and figure it out.
1: Let's dox her. No, uh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no, I no, I no don't do ask that. her. Don't do that. Just ask her nicely. Give her $1,000. Actually, you can't buy and sell uh, Twitter handles. Anymore. Right. Well, I don't think you ever could, but the way you do it is I could hire you as a consultant and throw in the handle.
0: I, I bought mine in 2008, I think.
1: 500 That was a long time ago. It was bucks?
0: it was all the money I had, which was sixty dollars. Sixty bucks. I was wow. living on my sister's couch in Palo Alto. I that think was right now my entire now, PayPal account.
1: I believe you get twenty five thousand for it right now easily. I get offered. Oh, yeah, for sure. I get offered for my for at Jason on Instagram. I get at least hundred people a week asking for it, um, which I don't doesn't make much sense to me because it's not like the at handles on Instagram actually make much sense. Um, but did you want to add something to the conversation about Twitter uh, when before we went to break? I think Alex, you kind of raised yeah, your name.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I, had an, I had an idea. We were talking about analytics and buffer and all this. And I was just thinking that, you know, what Twitter could do is go out and buy one of the services that are essentially plugged into the social media world and bring all that already built ARR into their house. They could go buy Sprout Social. For yep. not that much money compared to how much you know they're worth today, yes. and they could just bring in a ARR SaaS machine into their business, and then instantly their hybrid um, payments, ads, and um, yeah, software Wall Street business. looks at it
1: totally differently, and they could just go on a complete tear because their valuation would go up every time they bought one of those. If they bought it for hundred million, their valuation mm-hmm. would go up three hundred million, and then they have more currency, and they could just start the whole train, and uh, stonks go up. And Stonks uh, have been going up. Stonks go up.
2: Didn't they buy TweetDeck already, though?
1: They bought TweetDeck. They bought Surmise, which was the original search engine. Basically, people don't remember the history of Twitter. Twitter had absolutely no technical ability to do anything. They were bloggers, right? And they were really you know, web designers, but they didn't know how to use a database. So the thing was crashing constantly. So they couldn't even build a search engine, image hosting, or a client, so, you used a third party client in the app store, a third party client on your desktop, surmise to search it, and tweet pick, tweet vid, and long tweet.
0: Long tweet, yeah.
1: There were like s- dozens of these little apps built around it. Um, I think access to the API too. Remember Nip? Was it Nip? And then there was another one. There were two folks, DataSift was the other one. There were and two there were different APIs. There yeah. was
0: sprinkler and there was the Firehost, which Just all the tweets, which was hard to get your hands on. I think right. Y Combinator had the fire Host, and that was an advantage. For, like Y Combinator startups. Remember when like tech was yep. really small and you could like know all eight people? That yeah, was a cool time. So
1: weird. Well, I mean, if you want to know exactly how weird it was, when it when it got to about a hundred thousand people on Twitter, number one was Robert Scoble with like thirty thousand. I was number two at twenty thousand, and then this like, I don't know, nobody. Presidential candidate Obama was like Mm. 15,000. And then overnight, Obama had a million. And if you look, Obama follows me in like 500,000 people because the, it's, which is insane, right? You're like, why does Obama follow people? What happened was in the early days, I asked, I asked Ev uh, or Biz, listen, it's getting really tiresome for me to follow people back. Can you just, put a checkbox. So I just automatically follow people back. Cause the tradition in the early days was you just reciprocated. You follow me. I follow you. And they're like, yeah, sure. We can add that. So they added it. So I checked it off. Scoble checked it off. And so did Obama. And we all just followed everybody back. And then I was like, you know what, this is kind of, this could be something. So I just told one of my interns at the time, uh, can you do me a favor? Uh, here's the login. Just follow a hundred people a day or 200 people a day. Cause that's how many people were signing up. So I said, just follow everybody. It was pretty funny actually.
2: <laughs> the original growth hacker.
1: It was it was a growth hacking technique. I I this weekend I literally unfollowed everybody uh, and I put my account on private because it got so heated. My debate, there was a debate about journalism which I'm sure you followed Alex, that got out of control. Uh, and I got doxxed for the first time in my life. Uh, mm. And so now I know what it's like to be a woman or a person of color or a, a transgender person. I literally had some maniac who was 37 years old, worked in private equity, had a family on July 4th post my address under a tweet. And he said, you uh, disagreed with, I wouldn't say the journalist's name at the New York Times about something. Therefore, how does it feel? And I was like, are you crazy? So I called him on the phone. I don't. Know, maybe I should tell the story or not, Alex.
2: How do you have his phone number?
1: Well, he follows me, and has for some time. Are you? Wow. You watched this whole thing go down. This this disgusting, crazy battle.
0: Oh, I was I was all over this. I don't think you and I are on the the same side of this. But I want to point out that I just pulled up your page, and you don't follow me on Twitter back yet. So I'm, I will follow you back.
1: You I literally unfollowed everybody because I was a little concerned. I didn't know, I know. the extent of. Are they going to go after family members or other people I'm following who are non public figures? So I'm slowly adding back. People who are public figures, so I called the person on the phone. I'm going to tell the story only because I think it's instructive. Sure. Um, and so I said to the person. The person said, "I'll take down your address if you apologize to said reporter at the New York Times." And I said, "For what?" And they they said, "For stalking her." And I said, "I I, I never stalked this person. What are you talking about stalking?" And I, you know, she blocks me. I block her or whatever. And she said, and he said, um, "You told everybody in Clubhouse that she was in the room." And I said, yeah, we were in Clubhouse together. And I said, hey, everybody who having this discussion, just so you know, there's a New York Times journalist in the room because Clubhouse is semi-private. It's in beta. And she was writing a story about Clubhouse. And I wanted to let the, know, the person know who I was interviewing that there was a New York Times journalist in the room because they probably wouldn't know that. And that got defined as stalking. And I was like, OK, please don't use words like that because then a crazy person is going to Docs me, which is exactly what happened. And I'm not saying this trying to get any kind of like victim points. I'm a big boy, you know. I can handle myself. Uh, I understand this is, comes with the territory of being a public figure. So I look this person up. Turns out uh, he works in private equity, not too different than venture capital. So I look at the company he's with, and turns out we know a couple of people in common paradoxically turns out his boss and i know 14 people in common
0: Mm. whoops
1: i take a screenshot i send it to him i said you want me to apologize to said person i I understand your position um here's your boss and we know 14 people in common who are very good friends of mine uh and this is my phone number if you'd like to talk this out so the phone rings and i said listen kid I, i i know you're you don't mean any harm and you're just upset but this is really dangerous you know i've had stalkers in the past kind of situation and you know, things can escalate, and it's it's completely unnecessary. And uh, he uh, said, um, "Yeah, well, I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I said, what do you think I would do if somebody on my team doxed your boss?" He said, "You'd fire them." I said, "Yeah, I'm going to call your boss right now, and and you're going to get fired. I mean, I know you're only like uh, you know a 23 or 24 year old kid, but this is a really stupid life lesson for you to learn." And it's like silence. And I'm like, how old are you? He's like, I'm 37. I'm like, what were you thinking? He's like, I'm just really angry. And I said, I,
0: do you yeah, want to delete do it? Don't do that on the internet.
1: I was like, do you want to delete it? Because I really don't want to call your boss and have you lose your job. And uh, he wrote me like a really nice, sincere apology letter. And I deleted it and he deleted it and they just let it go. And I told everybody like, please stop fighting. And then Balaji, who's a friend of the pod and you know, he was doing a bunch of memes. Both individuals are so mad at each other that one of them is... You know, doing memes and trying to make it funny, and then the other person is saying it's targeted harassment, and everybody needs to stop.
0: I'm only unhappy with one of them, but I'm I, I'm surprised that Balaji's friends aren't stepping in and telling him that he's making himself look awful. And I like whenever someone melts down like Elon does this on Twitter occasionally, I'm always very surprised that he doesn't have a collection of friends around him who can just sit him down and be like, "Look, dude, I, we all know you think you're right." I think you can assume
1: in all cases a friend would say something. I'll just leave it at that.
0: Well, they're not, they should listen more, then, is my, it's my th- take. On you know,
1: that. it's just people lose all empathy on these social networks, and, you know, it, it becomes a full contact sport. What I, my message to everybody has been from the beginning, and I did a, an interview with Axios, is just. Yeah, I listened to that. You did listen to it, yeah. And I it's just trying yeah. to be reasonable and just say, listen, guys, we, we can have a vibrant debate, but don't make it so personal that crazy people who maybe don't have as much self control do crazy things. And it, because there are crazy people out there, you know, and I, I'm sure that you know some percentage of my listeners might be capable of doing equally horrible things. And I don't. Nobody wants. I don't think that the New York Times reporter in question here would want me to be doxed. I'm I'm hundred percent certain of that. And I would not want her harassed or doxed either. So everybody just got. That's the problem with, that.
2: with Twitter. I mean, this is why people don't like Twitter because it can be start off in a reasonable conversation and then it just spirals so quickly.
1: It kind of does. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, Alex, what do you what do you think about the whole debate just putting aside like how nasty it got, but just the you know, the 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 tech industry yeah. versus tech cuz we you and I have been at this for a while now and the coverage is, you know, gotten contentious.
0: You know, I so I listened to your Axios interview because I wanted to prep for this little show. So I want to make sure that I heard your take on this in a a different environment when I wasn't taking part in the conversation so I could just listen. And uh, I I just fundamentally don't agree with your view of the balance in uh, tech media coverage. And just to like, just to get a feel for this, I just went to techwrench.com and I read all the headlines on the front page and I went to the New York Times technology section and I read through all the headlines on the Times. I went through, you know, a couple pages of them and uh, you were saying, you know, like eight, nine out of 10 are these negative, hyper-negative, unfair stories and they're not. Most of them are neutral. A couple of them pointed out some flaws. Most of them are g- generically positive. Like if you go read TC to pick, me you up, know, my home territory, uh, we're talking about well, what companies are I would, doing.
1: Yeah, TechCrunch I would leave out of it. Um, okay. You know, but I mean, but when how, I look I, at the New York Times and I, if you look at Aaron Griffin or you look at Kara Swisher... You know, and, th- and those are but two. Um, you know, and then of a large team, of a large team, right? There's probably a dozen people. It's it's l- literally like seven or eight out of ten in my, in my experience. Um, well,
0: go go read more reporters than them. I mean, if no, you're I saying know. that, I'm talking about the, the ones who are...
1: wind up on the cover. And you know, tech does deserve some things. I mean, listen, I, I nobody's more critical than uh, Zuckerberg than me. I think. I mean, you've been on the pod with me enough talking sure. about that. And so, you know, I, I what I would just like to see is. When you're a subject, and I used to be a journalist and do random acts of journalism on this podcast, and you know, now I'm a subject or my companies are subjects, I, the, the amount of times a journalist calls me to tell me about some horrible thing and get comment on it, I'm just like, is there a way like one out of four times it can, I can tell you about something world positive, please? And the answer is no.
0: Well, what's funny about this is you were talking about how people should get off. This is on the Axios podcast with uh, with Dan Premack, who I, who I like quite a lot. Um, how you know people should get on the phone and you know how much of this is just you know on Twitter. I think I think a lot of the uh, the contentiousness is on Twitter because I talk to VCs, yeah. as part of my job, you know, all the time. Yeah. I talk to founders all the time. None of this ever comes up, and uh, I think what we have is a couple of voices on the VC side who are um, looking at the, looking only at a subset of total media coverage. And they're they're conflating that with all media is, and because they are paid to be generalists and, and thinkers, effectively, it's kind of what a VC is with a dose of optimism and someone else's money. Um, they try to read into this and try to like, extrapolate from it, and they end up looking pretty damn silly. I mean, Belagi's ideas about how to fix journalism are, are laughable, um, and uh, I think that it's it's a it's a small fraction of VCs that are actually engaged in this discourse about about the media and how it's unfair to startups because I, I don't, well, one, I don't agree with them. And also, no VCs that I talk to bring this up, even when we're off the record. It's only these couple of voices on Twitter. And uh, I don't agree with the, the complaints about the balance of coverage. And I just, I, I don't see it. Well, I mean, don't you
1: think that post-Trump, you know, more publications are picking a side where the New York Times is a little bit more left-leaning since Trump and, you know, uh, the people who pick a side do better because people obviously will subscribe if the opinion page in the New York Times speaks to you a little bit more. And, you know, the second they publish something from the right and listen, never voted for a Republican in my life. So it's not coming from a Republican standpoint. I don't know why people think I would vote for Trump. I I hate him. And I say that all the time. But, uh, you know, when they fired uh, the editor of the opinion page, it just it's giving the sense that, like, you know, it's a left leaning publication that maybe He's anti-capitalist. It feels anti-capitalist to me.
0: I can't agree with really any of that. Um, I think the Times has bent over backwards to avoid calling Trump racist, to avoid annoying uh, the kind of bad faith media attacks from the American right. So I'm not going to give any play to that. I find it ridiculous. Um, On the uh, Bennett uh, Times editorial page, I think let's keep the line between the editorial section and the rest of the paper. And he was fired for incompetence, not for a particular political perspective. So, and I don't want to spend the whole pot on this. I was, yeah, no, I wasn't go, it's, a, come it's a rabbit up. hole. We're gonna go. Down. But I, but I just want to point out that, like, you know, I, the, the core element of your critique of media is the thing that I that I disagree with, and that's where you and I can, can talk about this in kind of in hopefully fair minded voices. Um, but I will say that, uh, you know, it's it's never going to be mad on the internet, and uh, no. you know, we could all yeah. breathe a bit.
1: Well, I, and the thing. I love about podcasts which I, which is why I'm kind of trying to spend more time on podcasts and less time on the Twitter is because this debate can be very reasonable right and, and when you hear each other's voices it's in fact paradoxically are you're not on uh, Clubhouse I take it as a journalist they didn't let you on
0: Um I, I have no interest in in showing up it isn't I'm on Clubhouse
1: to You're on Clubhouse Morgan Mm-hmm. What what are your thoughts on, this is a good segue then, explain to people what's special about Clubhouse and why are people becoming addicted to it?
2: Uh, my perspective is probably going to be different than others, but um, Clubhouse became interesting because the valuation was ridiculous for an app that was private and had like 500 people on it. But also Andreessen Horowitz invested in it and CLF, Culture Leadership Fund run by Chris Lyons also participated. So we got all the cool black people on the app, which then black culture makes everything super duper cool, right? So like the first couple weeks, it's super sexy. You've got like really great conversations happening and like intentional conversations with celebrities and people that you don't usually get to talk to and they're just hanging out, right? And you get to listen. And then everybody started adding people. And so it was this inner group of people who were one person removed from each other, whether you're yeah. in Silicon Valley or you're an investor or you're a celebrity investor or whatever it is. And then it became now you're two, three people removed. And so I remember even, you know, the, all the black kind of tech people who've raised over a certain amount of money or black VCs are in there and we'll be texting each other like, yo, you know, there's white people in this room, like chill, you know, like we will, <laughs> we will have sub... DMs with each other and text with each other being like, mm, you know, there's too many people listening because you start off with it's just you and your friends. And then all of a sudden, you're like, there's a 100 people in here. Oops, like, let me be quiet. So I actually stopped. I haven't listened. I haven't tuned in in the last like two or three weeks. I also think they have some weird um, things where like someone can invite you into a conversation and you're automatically unmuted. So there's like some things that can create some risk um, that i opted out
1: i it's interesting you say that because i i i took a couple week break from it because it's highly addictive because it's kind of like this weird hybrid of like talk radio or a conference call and you turn it on and there's usually three or four discussions and two yeah. or three are inane and one or two are interesting to you um and it is kind of weird like you open it up and and Andreessen pulled the celebrity card and you got kevin hart you know or oprah came in or Ashton Kutcher's hanging out, and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. wow, that's pretty interesting and having an interesting conversation. And I got into a conversation the other night about this whole back and forth between tech and tech journalists and everything. And it just, the room got too big. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. You know, I'm out. <laughs> I was like, mm. you know, 10 people, 15 people, okay. But then I'm like, there's now there's 150 people in here. And that's where I think there, and there's no, the other challenge poss- pro- challenges. there's no tools because they it's in beta. Yeah. so. You can't block somebody, you can't remove somebody from the room. It's it's got a weird like open internet
2: kind of vibe to yeah, it. I'm like you let everybody in here and it's a becomes a public app. We're not talking. Like why would I that's just like talking on the on the record. Like why would I do that? It's too risky.
1: I think they're going to add a feature where it's and 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 actually the guy Paul um yeah, he tweeted. He well he talked about it. Yeah, we could have private rooms. Um, and so it'll, you know, it that, that'll balance itself out and you'll be able to invite people to rooms or people will be able to knock on the door, maybe be let in, not be let in. Or I think their original idea, he talked about this one time, was like if Kevin Hart wants to test his material or has a fan club type thing, you could pay ten bucks a month to be part of his fan club and he says, I'm gonna spend a couple hours a month here or, you know maybe somebody like tim ferris he really wants what paul said is he really wants to get the podcasters on there Mm. and then i thought about it because i was on there one night i interviewed ben horowitz Mm -hmm. adam d'angelo from cora and um uh one other famous person and then i was like what am i doing here like this is how i make a living i gotta get back on my podcast like ben horowitz won't come on my podcast they don't know who jason calacanis is and the horowitz guys don't like me anyway And so I can't get them on my pockets, but they're willing to talk to me in in Clubhouse. So I was like, you know what? They didn't let me invest. This is, I'm not making any money from this. I think I'm out. And and it's also like now everybody's recording everything because on your phone, you can just flip on the recorder.
2: I'm surprised people actually are still talking as much as they are, given how much now we know that people are recording.
1: Right. That, I assumed from the beginning people were recording, I assumed that- if a journalist was in there, they were recording it covertly so that they could accurately quote people. And I'm not sure of the legality of it actually because it is not a phone system. I don't know, what is the protocol today amongst journalists do you think? Alex, on recording calls. I mean, I know you would always say, "Can I record this at the start of?" the Yeah, program? I
0: always ask. Um, public forums, though, are different than private yeah. conversations, and so there's there's a there's a good legal question there that I don't have the answer to because I just don't have the knowledge to answer that intelligently. But I'm, I'm curious, Jason, if you could have gotten into the Clubhouse round, which was like 10 at 100 posts or something, um, how much of your personal money would you have been willing to put into that uh, at that price if you were allowed into it? Like, what's the what's what's I, your? I offered max to there? put 100. A hundred, okay, a hundred times.
1: Um, I'll tell you why. If okay. if Benchmark and Andreessen are going to put ten million into it, and it's got this kind of momentum, uh, and since it was such a ridiculous valuation, like like ridiculous to a level that is insane, and then paying the founders two million in secondary is also very privilege.
0: Such privilege.
1: I didn't want to say it, Morgan, but I don't think too black. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you that two black founders are not getting $2 million for an app with 500 people in it. Off
2: the table, Off no. Off the table,
1: no. <laughs> and if they did, can you imagine the reaction?
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, we would get ripped apart on Twitter.
1: Exactly. So we still have some work to do on race uh, in the industry, apparently. Um, but my gamesmanship, since Alex, you asked about it, is number one, Andreessen Horowitz has so much skin in the game now. Because if this were to fail, I'm not saying it's too big to fail. But the reason why Mark Andreessen, and Ben Horowitz, uh, Felicia Horowitz is her first name. Felicia is doing her Saturday night party. The reason they are pulling every single celebrity card they can pull to get people in there um, is because now if it fails, uh, which most startups do, it's not going to look very intelligent to have put the money in at that high evaluation and let them take $2 million off the table. Therefore, they're going to work really hard to make this work and Mark's on the board of Facebook. So
2: if it no, doesn't That was just work, about to say. Yes. So they just buy it. So like,
1: just... when you start looking at the chessboard here, if this thing was going to fail, they couldn't figure out a business model or it was going sideways, they
0: just get a soft landing. Mark just goes, hey- Can you buy it for like 50 in cash or whatever? Give, yeah,
1: just give me my money back so my LPs don't think I'm an idiot and you know I'll, I'll take I'll take it all in Facebook. Equity, which is going to go up anyway. So there's like an easy... end. That was my game theory.
2: How long do you think it'll last? Do you think it'll exit in like 18 months or do you think it's going to ride out? Alex?
0: Um, I'm notoriously bad at this, so I should definitely answer that. Let's play a game. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Question time. So when does it leave beta in this timeline that we're making up? How how long until it's uh, public?
2: They got to figure this out. I think it's going to be a while.
0: I think Q1. Q1 2021. Is that fair? Yeah, I think Q1. I agree with that. Uh, I think we will know if it's going to be a success or failure by the end of that calendar year. So I would say six quarters from now, we're going to have a pretty good feel for it. And that will determine if Facebook is threatened by it and therefore buys it, if it goes middle of the road and kind of just half-asses along, or if it flops and then it gets a soft landing at Zuckerberg Inc. Those are my three things. I would say like 20, 50, 30% chances on those.
2: Twitter could buy it. They just did their voice. They're in their voice testing.
0: True. True. But then I'd have to use it though because I'm a big Twitter fan. I'd be, I would be conscripted into the army.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Morgan? I think that they are going to figure out how to manage the privacy thing. Um, I think that CLF and you know, H16Z is, is smart enough that they've done this before. They're going to figure out how to fix it. So I think that they go for the gold. So it'll, yeah. it'll be a while.
1: Yeah, I think you know, $10 million is a lot of money to raise um, when you have a, a, a five-person company. That'll probably go to 15. You only need 15 people to run a modern app company. You put two or three people on the iOS, you get two or three designers, two or three product managers, two, IO, two Android people, back-end person, then the founders. Can't have more than 15 people or else it kind of works against you. And if you pay them all you know, top dollar, and they're getting 150K a year, it's, it's, it's a pretty easy company. It's not an expensive company to run. You spend three, four million a year max. So it shouldn't be uh, very difficult. The thing, I'll, I'll give you my prediction on it. Yeah. Easiest thing in the world to copy. Sounds a lot insane. of people are inspired. I'm getting a lot of interesting, um, let me just put it, I'm, I'm not getting a lot of interesting test flights. I'm getting a lot of interesting, hey, I heard you got left out of the round, J. Cal. Um, what do you think about this spin on Clubhouse? I got four of those discussions going on
2: right now.
0: Four. Are any of them good? Anything interesting? All or they of all them just are kind of... good. All of them are great.
2: All yeah. of them are great. I didn't really think that that's just because audio is a thing. Because yeah, we're I mean, it's not just Clubhouse. You know?
1: It's audio, period. And, you know, you start Twitter added audio. And, and, you know, the what was the other one? The party one that was video that you house Party house party, which basically clubhouse copied house party, but not video. It just you so i
0: there are <laughs> the fift- worst version of it
1: <laughs> there's fifty there's fifty ways to to kind of make this work, and there are people who have existing businesses that have scale already that have ideas that they want to spin out uh and there are people who are notable who have followings that are large who said, you know, hey Jake Cal. What do you think if my audience, which is not de minimis, had this type of thing with these two changes? And I can tell you out of the four ideas, all four are better ideas than Clubhouse today. Now, I don't know
2: Clubhouse's complete roadmap. $10 million is a lot of money.
1: $10 million is a lot of money. But again, we, as I said, you only need a handful of people to run something like this. So I think this will become... I think this is going to be like what? What's the last time we had a lot of people do the same service? Vine. Yeah, short video, of Vine. Right, there were a couple of those. It's going to be like one of those races where there might be, you know, Clubhouses. It's going to be Clubhouses' race to lose, but they could lose it.
0: Yeah, kind of like the Clubhouse for X, like it was Uber for X and Airbnb Uber for, for X, X right? and yes. all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, well, I. I yeah. I'm excited by it. I love community. I, I like the idea of people getting to hang out in, in safe and fun environments. Uh, I have a video game group with some friends that are now across the country. And um, we play games together, but mostly we're talking. And just having that audio connection, having that kind of group experience is, is so delightful. And um, I, I don't know what if game public rooms... What game do you play? I'm curious. Uh, I don't play anything very well, but I play Destiny 2 on PS4. Uh, oh. And I also play F1 2019 on PC, which I'm even worse at somehow. I but, play Star.
1: Uh, a, I play Starcraft 2 old school on pc sometimes at night but i just play as random i people grew up on Starcraft. i grew up
0: on brood war yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was a big sc2 guy in college and i actually sponsored a show match back in the early esports days yeah that's some good stuff
1: right about more now morgan's like what are you nerds talking
2: about? <laughs> i play what are you play civilization you play Civilization. Oh! Oh! oh she plays civ
1: oh, oh. Really? See, this is yes. I like I like strategy because I'm a poker player, and uh, I like all the strategy games. I liked Age of Empires, Command and Conquer. That was kind of my jam because it was like chess on speed, you know. Honestly,
2: that would be such a good Twitter thread. Is like everyone like secretly revealing what games they play on the low.
1: Yeah, I play threes. That's what I, that's my like. Go to bed. I play threes or f- two plus two or whatever those like little number games are. I find those like very relaxing. Like I get into a, like a little. Uh, zone about it. Hey, I I teased giving Harvard $50,000 to take Zoom classes. Uh, I don't know if I even have to ask your guys' opinions on this. (laughs) No,
2: But... (laughs) What? Crazy. But who's going to pay? That's my thing is like, and then we're going to watch people pay for it. People
1: are going to do this, right? So this just shows you how bankrupt and insane higher education is that they would have the audacity to charge people $50,000 for this. And that is what a racket it is, right? Right.
2: It makes Absolutely no sense. insane. And then they say they're going to test? It might have been, I can't remember if it was them or someone else, that they're going to test students every two days and take away sports? It's like no sports, which is like your D1. And right. then you're going to test people every two days?
0: Come I, on. I don't understand. Wait. I, I got tested and it was not great. I didn't enjoy having the thing stuck in the, oh, the bowels did that of one? my head. I did yeah. two. I did two of the um, blood tests, and they both came back
1: negative. There's some new tests coming that are going to be dope, though, where you're going to be able to like do a swab. That's not like the deep crazy swab, and in 15 minutes for 10 bucks you get it. So,
2: we're- so maybe that's part of they're banking on an easier test, but still.
0: Here's an idea. What if Harvard instead said it's 5K, and uh, we're going to open the door. And anyone who wants to have a Harvard education for 5K a year on Zoom can do it. And the whole world should show up because education should be open. And we're no longer constrained by buildings. And we're not greedy. And we do have a great brand. We already have $40 billion in our endowment or whatever it is. Let's just go teach people. Let's go invest in actual education of everyone that we can if we think we're so special. That would be revolutionary, game-changing, progressive, interesting, and it would also help so many people get a leg up because they would have that Harvard on their resume forever.
1: To your point, Alex, you're saying, if you're so
0: good at teaching, teach more people. Teach more people. It's on Zoom, guys. You can do more than 20 people on a call, but instead, Harvard wants to maintain the exclusivity because they're jerks and because they're selfish and greedy and not focused on education. They're focused on maintaining their own hegemony in the education market globally. It's not great. Yeah, I don't
2: understand doing that when their endowment is so large. So it's like the interest on your endowment, you can wait a year, you can skip a year. Is it really that expensive to operate? It's like you're going to go in a deficit anyways, having people on campus and having food service and all these other things. It doesn't make any sense.
1: And so the expectation is you put a bunch of young people into dorms and they sit on their computers and they watch Zoom and then you're trusting- that none of them are going to kiss each other at any point in time.
2: Oh, that was ridiculous! Or
1: go on a date.
2: <laughs> right. Like I kind of think. Right. They're like you can't go into each other's dorms. Only people in the dorms in the dorm itself can stay in that dorm. Come on.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, last twelve knowledge. hours. Why am I here? Hmm. Right. Kind
1: of, yeah, kind of think maybe somebody might, there might be some necking going on in college. Somebody might get a little kissy kissy. And So
2: here's the question. Yeah. What is the use case for why someone would say, okay, I'll see you, see you there?
1: My parents are so rich and I am so entitled that I just want a Harvard sweatshirt and logo on my LinkedIn page. I mean, that's really what we're saying here. Because you could watch the same videos on, are they on Coursera or edX or whatever it is? Like,
2: Yeah, they're on one of them.
1: They're on one of them. So but
2: they've always been on those.
1: MIT also is like, MIT put all their stuff online and there was this one kid, I don't know if you read about this. He took every MIT course um, for his like master's in AI or something, wrote all the documentation down and i was talking and i've told the story before here i was talking to somebody who's you know very famous in the industry and i said would you take that person who took all the courses on their own and documented and put it in a manila folder and handed it to you uh, or somebody who went there and he's like well, of course i take the former i want the person who was the hustler mm yeah. uh, and I, and this person's writing a book about it by the way on how he did that and i think it's i was actually having this debate with my wife and i was talking to her about how like Everybody has access to YouTube now. Every skill you could want to learn is on YouTube. There are some ways in which the world has gotten demonstrably better for learning skills. And still people are watching five hours of television a night. Uh, the average American watches five hour, four or five hours of television to this day. When I meet young people and they're like, hey, what should I do? I'm like, stop watching television for two years and learn how to code, be a designer, be a salesperson, anything. Just get any course you can get and just load up on skills. So the accreditation makes is making less and less sense. And I thought the whole like people buying their way into Ivy League schools with like Photoshopped photos would end this nonsense where people are just, the idea of credentialing is over. This feels like the last,
2: you know.
0: Okay. So yes, but if you're white, if you're not white, I think the credential, What?
2: Yeah, you you took the words out of my mouth. Like, I think people still need credentials and need that stamp of approval. I mean, you do, Mm. absolutely. I went and got a stamp of approval as a startup. I was like, you know what? I don't care how good our company is. I still need one little Silicon Valley stamp of approval. Like what five
1: hundred startups or YC or like some. I did five hundred
2: startups. You
1: five hundred startups. So you get a little logo.
2: You know, you get the little logo. You have your little demo day. You get the guaranteed TechCrunch article. Like you just have to play the game. It, no matter, you can't be too naive to think that you're going to be the one who didn't have to play the game.
1: I just feel like this skills are so, you know, especially with remote work now. Like y- y- because we're not in the same offices, the person who just gets something done very quickly and sends you the result, it feels like that's the person who's going to win. I, I don't. Maybe I'm naive, but. Like if it's you just need a- not
0: there yet. You're close, Jason. There, there's a leveling. You're you're directionally accurate. I think you're right, credentials are losing their, their their power. I have many friends that don't don't have college degrees that are doing very well. I think you're right that skills and competence are the thing that matter. But we're in this little circle here. And a lot of people outside of the circle are still essentially operating like they always have. And they need, you know, four year degree or at least two years in the right direction. And we're
2: you know, we're not doctors. We're not lawyers. We're not accountants. We're not also in professions yeah, yeah, no. for higher for degrees. If there's like,
1: certification, like brain surgery, yeah, you're not going to learn it on YouTube.
2: <laughs> Although <laughs> I have to
1: say, like th- this, there are the, the um, there have been some people who have learned how to fly on simulators <laughs> and on YouTube and then stolen planes. Like this has become like a bit of a thing.
2: And in med school, they do simulations and 3D stuff, and I mean they do that in med school too. I think this was in a science fiction
1: film or a, I'm sorry, a science fiction novel where some kid basically in the simulator got so good at surgery that they became the greatest surgeon ever because they were just, you know, it's almost like um, Ender's Game. Remember Ender's Game? I don't yeah. spoiler alert, but it's not a video game. <laughs> it's the real world.
0: So it's interesting to say that my, my wife is now in her fourth year of residency, and uh, we, she just finished her year three. So I, I'm living with someone who's going through this really advanced credentialing credentialing process. I think for for those sorts of jobs, we should maintain kind of the current system as it is. But for everything else, we should we should tear it down, especially down to weird things like like hair technicians and so forth that are that are kept out of work by, you know, really ridiculous. Um, government uh rules and regulations that are that are asinine and that are always somehow uh much more hard to get than to become a police officer which is mm. uh mm.
2: dun 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 who would have thought
1: yeah well and there we are at policing i mean that's the ultimate one where we have to rethink it um yeah
2: we don't have enough time on this show no
1: yeah you know I it's interesting I was there was a time period I don't know maybe four or five years ago I was starting to see a lot of Uh, non-lethal policing um, equipment. So, like, you know, guns where you shoot a net, guns that don't kill you, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then you just think about it and it's like, yeah, none of that stops somebody who kneels on somebody's neck for eight eight minutes and just murders them and suffocates them. Like, not, this isn't even an issue of somebody being shot with a gun. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh diversity in tech uh since I think that uh it's been a very interesting couple of months. I literally have had mm, two or three investors call me and say, can you introduce me to a black founder I can invest in? I'll just say it as simply as that. Morgan, is it is it changing for you as a, a founder uh who's black and female? Are you finding people reaching out and saying, hey, I need to solve this problem in my portfolio. Can I invest in your company? Um, or can I support you in some way? And then how does that feel as somebody who maybe was underestimated slash you know, ignored previously by other VCs?
2: Um, so a couple of things. I, I think I have a privilege that I have to acknowledge, which is I've already raised my Series A. I've already made it through a variety of steps. So I'm on the Series B track. Right, yeah. um, and so for me, um, you know, you don't just invest in a series B out of white guilt, you know, right? It,
1: it's, you got to have numbers.
2: Yeah, like we got serious numbers. I have a serious business. You know, this is a like we're gonna we're gonna keep it going. Uh, kind of a plan. We've got pivot, you know, et cetera, platform, all the things. So. I think for me, most people actually look at me and say, Morgan, we know that you are connected in this space. You advise entrepreneurs. You're an angel investor. We know that there are probably people that you know that we can't see yet because of our own blinders. Who should I reach out to? Who should we connect with? And there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of new organizations popping up. There's a lot of new funds popping up. Um, And so... For, for me, I've been just triaging. Like I'm just a quarterback right now. So, you know, I send out my own little email that says, Hey, here's like five black female founders who are raising their seed right now and have already raised X amount. And here's their information. And you're not going to find this on a public database because they're no one's yeah. putting those real numbers out there. Right. Like I never. No, I mean,
1: our, our, our industry is opaque by design. People do not want to post their roadmap anywhere. What are the organizations that you feel are making the most impact and that people need to know about?
2: So in terms of discovery of underrepresented founders, the two that I um, love the most that I think have the widest reach around America that don't have the kind of exclusivity tone that I think scares and and keeps so many people out is one is Founder Jim. Um, which focuses on underrepresented founders and teaching them about VC and if you should even raise VC. And if you are, here's how you do it. Um, And they bring all your kind of Silicon Valley insiders in as coaches to do kind of AMAs, et cetera. And
1: that's 100% virtual. It's like- 100% virtual. And do they invest or do they just mentor?
2: No investment, no equity. It's a fee, which I actually think is more reasonable.
1: Oh, okay, cool. So it's like just buying a subscription to Masterclass or something. You pay a fee. Exactly.
2: Online community, yeah.
1: 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, 500 bucks a month. You have
2: any idea? No, it's expensive. It would be more like a virtual incubator. Got it. Okay.
1: So I don't know how much did 500
2: startup cost me, like $150,000 or something. So, but take out some zeros.
1: Yeah. Perfect. I I, I think that that is a, a really important point because the thing I hear from black founders, people of color, women, uh, underestimated folks, um, which is the term I like best, underrepresented, underestimated, is the where to start. And do you want to even meet me? Is a blocker. And you know, Jackie, who works with us here at Launch, she created Founder University with me, and she does one for underrepresented founders. I think you've spoken at it actually, or um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I did. And once we did that, and we had underrepresented founders as a uh, exclusive thing. The number of underestimated founders who contacted us went through the roof.
2: Cause you signaled you care. I remember when I first fundraised, I went and looked at all the other black founders who'd fundraised and I looked at all the VCs that had invested in them. And I made a list of those people because I said, look, if you're, if you've invested in one, then you can at least understand me slightly better than somebody who has indicated that you can't even invest. I'm a really black. Company, you know, so right. I'm serving black people. We're solving black problems. I've got a majority POC staff, a majority black woman leadership team. Like, you know, we're very black. So if you can't even invest in one black person who's solving some random non black problem and is an enterprise SaaS company, that's like, and this person went to Stanford or MIT, like whatever, they've got all the credentials except they're, they're black. If you can't even invest in that guy, you're probably not going to invest in me.
1: Yeah it's and what's the other company you had another one you said you, you oh
2: and then one more and this is most uh more for women is actually all race has been doing some interesting thing and i know that they've gotten yeah, they've been they've gotten a lot of mixed bags because they weren't super diverse when they first launched and there's a lot of feedback present company included about like you gotta you gotta up your diversity like you can't just do the white woman thing but i think that they've listened and made some adjustments and so they're doing these really cool programs and i just have been happy with the acceleration of all of their work. And I think being a black female founder is just such a unique, like part of the pie, right? It's already like less than 2% to women. And then even further, I mean, I I don't even know the number. It's got to be less than 1%. It's definitely not half of the women are black, no way. So, right. That is to me. Uh, I, I love All Raise and what they've been doing, and I'm sure there's many groups that I'm I'm missing out on. So no, don't they, attack me on Twitter. That's
1: it. I think it's a very interesting point because we were sitting here 10 years ago, and the conversation was, "Why are there no women, fee, you know, VCs?" And all of these VC firms, you know, I'm an angel investor, slightly different, but VC firms were six white guys, uh, and then they're like, "Okay, we got to get a woman in here because man, does this team page look bad?" And they're like. The, the big hack at that time was, oh, yeah, here's our partner, the mm-hmm. marketing and comms partner. And it was like, right. come on. Like, can they write mm-hmm. a check? And it was like, no, but they can get you on CNBC. And it was like, come on. Really? Like, real window dressing kind of stuff. But then they, all of a sudden, we saw a more female founder, a more female representation Asian female, white female, as you're saying.
2: Yeah. Latino. I mean, Latin. you can't Latin. name 10 black female uh vcs i i could challenge most people they probably couldn't name ten
1: uh monique woodward uh arlen hamilton two
2: yeah there's more i can i know there's more
1: keep going no tell me tell me because i i'm i'm probably i'm I'm not very good with names but i'm just going down the list of people we've had on the podcast recently i
2: mean there's tons of angels like heather hiles um she was I mean there's just I'm not gonna go into it because yeah, it's
1: too yeah. Low. I mean a lot of black male v c s too a lot more I should say
2: well, they have funds that they um so they've yes. they've raised twenty million dollar funds fifteen thirty fifty a hundred two fifty million dollar funds, I think the biggest a black woman has raised is maybe seventy five or hundred
1: it is one of the final pieces of the of the puzzle, I think, in terms of just. We have to get it done. I mean, you, you, the fact that we're sitting here still having this discussion—it's 2020. It's just bizarre to me.
2: Yeah, but whose problem is it to solve? I think there's no one person's responsibility that it is. And I, you know, I certainly do think it's like white people have to solve this to some extent. I also started my company because I was like, I'm not waiting for white people to solve my problems. So yeah. we got to get going on our end too. Like my friends who are founders need to exit so they can just go be billionaires and like, let's just be the PayPal mafia and like do our own thing. Like why? I think that's like a great insight as well. Alex, you had something to add?
0: Oh, I was just going to say on the, on the doing something part of this, I I have a list of VCs that I talk to and, um, I've started just writing down the list of every black VC that I hear about. And I'm trying to expand my entire roster of people that I talk to for stories, for insight that I get on the phone with. Um, and I'm just going to, I guess, brute force, diversify it and try somewhat harder to not be, I I had some diverse people on my list, but it was mostly white dudes. And I just decided that that wasn't okay. And I wasn't going to try to do this by small steps. I was just going to go find everybody and try to get their email address and start talking to them. And so I think that's the kind of thing that will increase representation in stories and media and will have a positive effect. And um, I'm encouraged that I'm not alone in trying to to be less bad about this. I'm trying to be better.
2: And I think the last thing I would say is like, um, let's ask black people about their businesses. You know, like, you know, one thing I even appreciate this conversation, we're not just sitting here talking about black people all the time. Like we're not just inviting me onto the show to just talk about blackness. Like, no, why? Like I can talk about a variety of things. I'm always going to represent black people from my voice as my, my lens of the world um, and my company and my community. But at the same time, let's also not just continue to perpetuate it by then saying, oh, we must have a black person on this panel yeah, and then check we the ask box. the black person. Go. Yeah, like, yeah. what is it like to be black? And it's like, well, <laughs> why don't you ask them like why they're, they've are they raised $10 million or like why, how they grew and scaled their team or like whatever questions you ask everyone else. Yeah, that that
1: is, I think, a super important thing for people to keep in mind because I hear that over and over again uh, when we're interviewing people for our accelerator, which is like, wow, you guys actually are, interested in our business and and the details of our business. And not once did we ask you about like, hey, what's it like to be a black female founder? You know, it's like, tell me about your customers. What's your (laughs) lifetime value? What's the, can you take me through the unit economics? It's our job to increase and find more founders, but we should be asking the same questions, right? It should be the same process, but you just, what we do internally is we just hold ourselves to, we just didn't find enough people for this class. We, you know, When we're talking about the accelerator, we really need to work harder to get more people to apply. We have to right. go find people to apply. We have to right. go let people know that you know we are looking to make those investments. And now since we've got a, a pretty decent track record, it's not exactly where I want it to be. But I mean, I feel like we've made massive progress in the last two years. Now I'm getting VCs asking me, like, how did you do it? And I'm like, deal flow. how did you, but how, but how did you get your deal flow there? I'm like, do an event just for people who are underrepresented and watch the magic, right? Like it, it actually yeah. does work. The number one reason people told us was, oh, when you did an event for underrepresented founders, we knew that you cared. We knew that you were like actually sincere. Whereas coming to a, you know, a generic launch festival event or TechCrunch just up, how do you know that you're welcome, Right. You got to make it explicit, people. Um, That's at least that's the the leak in my. It's a
2: balance. It's like you have to be explicit, but also don't diminish. So it's like you know, I want to. If you have caviar at your event for white people, I want caviar at the black event. In fact, add champagne. Like one hundred. Yeah. You know, so that's that's the other thing. It's like people are making the diversity funds. I'm like, okay, but why? Like you just invest out of the main fund. Why do we need a separate but equal fund? Like just. I thought that
1: was a weird moment for Andreessen and Horowitz as well. I think people misunderstood misunderstood what It was
2: misunderstood,
1: misunderstood what Nate was doing because I saw everybody all of a sudden start dunking on Nate. I asked him to come on the podcast, he said he was too busy. Andreessen and Horowitz. I mean, his doesn't, PR
2: doesn't, team was probably like, nah.
1: No, Andreessen and Horowitz. <laughs> hates they're probably going to
2: listen to this and be like, Morgan is too close to the people.
1: <laughs> Andreessen and Horwitz doesn't like me. But anyway, I put that aside. Mark, Andreessen specifically, doesn't like me. He, he, Mark <laughs> can't decide. He blocks me, then he follows me, then he unfollows me. It's, it's very weird. But he's a weird dude anyway. Uh, or I should say Quixotic. Um, but uh, Nate, I thought what Nate was doing was they're going to be giving like small. Uh, grants to people to kind of get started, not venture capital investments. Am I right? Did you you read up on that?
2: One, I think that they made a mistake announcing it in the mix because this is something that has been on Nate's heart and mind for quite some time. He had talked to me about this a while ago. So um, I think that was just a mistake, frankly. And they obviously recognize that mistake after the fact, but it's too late. And then two, it's a donor advised fund. So it's a not-for-profit. It's not a- Venture fund. Venture fund, so that's completely different, you know. And I don't think that that was made clear. I think that I do think people got caught up in the hype of saying we're doing this cool thing, and so they wanted it to sound sexy and sound cool and sound like they were really making an impact. And it was like, but then you maybe overreached a little bit, and therefore people called you out. But in reality, it was actually just a donor advised fund, and they've probably already raised an additional ten million into it, and it's probably fine now.
1: Yeah, that was such a weird moment to watch people dunking on somebody trying to, who's a black man, who's trying to help people get into the industry. And I'm like, that's, why not hear him out? It's so weird.
2: And and meanwhile, there are, Funds just as big as Andreessen Horowitz and firms just as big as Andreessen Horwitz who've done zero zero nothing. Right.
1: So somebody stands, somebody stands up and they're like, I-, I have an idea. Like, let's try to get more people to start companies and give them grants and do some cool stuff with this with this donation advisor fund. And instead of that, they're like, Oh, you have eight billion under management, you made a billion dollars off of the But that's sky. what I'm
2: saying. But this is Twitter. Like all these things that we're talking about right now are all the attacks that happened on Twitter. And that's why I think it's just whack, you know? It and is. and at the same time, I think for for our community of people who do want to hold others accountable, let's shine that exact same light on all the people who are still quiet, who have made no investments in Black founders. At least Andreessen Horowitz has Maven. It has um, yeah. the healthcare company, it escapes me right now, but like they have Black founders that, they're, that they've invested in and others don't.
1: This is a good place to end uh, i've taken mu- enough of your time everybody check out blavity and follow morgan and alex on the twitter the, everything's in the show notes oh look mark Andreessen had just called in let me see what he has to say he left me a voicemail
0: i will now explain to you in detail why you're an idiot
1: oh well <laughs> I, I forgot think, about the soundboard you didn't use what, the whole no, show mark just sent me a that was mark <laughs> on clubhouse was just talking to me on clubhouse and i think what he said was <laughs> but i will now explain to you in detail why you're an idiot Wow, look at that. Mark and Dreesen explained it to me twice.
0: (laughs) Inject that into my veins.
1: Inject that into my veins. All right, everybody. Um,
0: My wife is going to kill me because I said I'd be gone an hour and it's been two. Oh,
1: my Lord. I am so sorry. All right, see you all next time on This Week in startups. Bye-bye.